you're listening to Pod Bliss Canada, the McDonald Laurier's premier public policy podcast. My name is Iman Lau, and I'm a communications officer with the Institute. September 4th, 2021 marks a grim milestone for Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. September 4th is the thousandth day the two Michaels have been in arbitrary detention by the Chinese Communist Party in retaliation of the arrest of Huawei's CFO, Meng Wanzhou. While we await to hear the fate of Michael Kovrig, Michael Spavor has been convicted of espionage and sentenced to 11 years in prison. Spavor has since filed for an appeal. The lack of action on the hostage taking of the two Michaels by the Chinese authorities has signaled to the international community and non-state actors that in some instances, hostage taking can be done with impunity. Even more heartbreaking, victims and their families are left in limbo. Hostage taking of Canadians is a major concern and one that requires a substantive overhaul of Canada's national approach to the issue. A joint publication by the McDonald Laurier Institute and Canadian Coalition Against Terror proposes a new legislation titled An Act to Address the Taking of Innocent Civilians as Hostages. Author and MLI Senior Fellow Sarah Teach joins me today to discuss how this legislation would serve to deter and punish global hostage taking, support victims and their families, and improve the framework for international cooperation to end hostage-taking incidences. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with having you tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So I'm a lawyer based in Toronto. I'm, as you said, a senior fellow at MLI. I'm also a legal advisor to the Canadian Coalition Against Terror. And my background actually is in counterterrorism. So before I even thought about going to law school. I did a master's degree in counterterrorism and homeland security studies. And so now I merge these two fields together and I look at counterterrorism meets international law meets human rights. So could you explain in more detail exactly how hostage taking works? So basically a person is seized by either a state or a non-state actor to get a third party to do or refrain from doing something as an explicit or implicit condition of their release. So, for example, as you said, the CCP seizing Kovrig and Spavor to influence Canada to release Meng Wanzhou, that's to get Canada to do or refrain from doing something. And this is done by state or non-state actors, and the purposes vary. So it could either be to get a third party to pay the group money or to influence foreign policy or gain leverage in international or bilateral negotiations. I'm curious if you can talk about other instances of hostage taking Canada has had to address in the past and also explain what was done well or poorly in those cases. So Canadians are routinely seized as hostages. The examples are numerous. It's been mostly by terrorist groups, but it also does happen increasingly by authoritarian regimes like China, Russia, Iran, Turkey. So just to provide a few examples, John Ridsdale and Robert Hall were seized by Abu Sayyaf, a terrorist group in the Philippines in 2015. They were unfortunately beheaded the following year. And then in 2008, of course, Ottawa faced five hostage situations in as many months. Melissa Fung in Afghanistan, Robert Fowler and Louis Gay in Niger, Beverly Eastbrecht in Pakistan, and Amanda Lindout in Somalia. And in terms of what Canada does poorly or well, it's unfortunately more poorly than well so far, just because Canada has no policy, there's no organization. This was publicized as early as 2016. The Toronto Star did a eight-part investigation, really exposing the disorganization of the current approach to hostage situations. 
basically they respond to each new situation on the fly. There's no firm policy guidance. And one of the worst deficiencies, of course, is Canada's approach to communication with the families. So families get a family liaison officer. That's a specialized RCMP officer responsible for communicating with the family. And then it's really luck of the draw. Does the particular FLO go above and beyond in the responsiveness to families or do they brush them off? And a lot of interviewees for the star reported being impatiently rebuffed officers saying, okay, well, I have to get back to my full-time job now, stuff like that. So it hasn't been good. That investigation was 2016, but not much has changed since then. The RCMP now guarantees that they won't prosecute the family criminally if they try to negotiate a ransom on their own. And they've designated two additional officers to deal with family. And of course, after this proposal was published, we saw Canada lead a 58-country coalition on arbitrary detention, basically just denouncing arbitrary detention, promising to act further. So that's really what Canada's done so far, and it hasn't been very much. Before we actually dive into your legislation that you propose in your paper, I'm wondering if you could also talk about how there are some who argue that the detention of the two Michaels in this specific case and their subsequent trials in China are not a hostage situation. What would you say to that? I would say to those people, don't be fooled by the sham trials that the CCP is using and these rule of law words and phrases like trial and sentence and conviction. It's not real. It's it's an illusion. It's a sham trial. It's not a real trial. It can't be a real trial if the outcome is already predetermined, if they know that they're going to be convicted and they know for how long and everything in the process is arbitrary. The use of sham trials is not a new thing. It's not something that just came up with the two Michaels. This is done by authoritarian regimes trying to provide legitimacy to arbitrary detentions. We saw this with Kylie Moore Gilbert, who is a former hostage of the Iranian regime. She described her legal proceedings as a kangaroo court. We saw this with Dr. Wang Binjong, a former Canadian student who's still languishing in Chinese prison. His trial similarly was held in secret, lasted for less than a day. This is just really used as a way to draw attention away from the fact that these people's rights are being violated and they're being detained without due process and without any just reason. So I would say to those people, definitely don't be fooled. These are sham trials. So the new legislation you propose seeks to remedy several issues with Canada's current approach. And this new legislation also contains three parts. So that's sanction assistance to families, and multilateral cooperations. Let's start with sanctions. What does this legislation propose in regards to that? Part one of the act would permit the governor and council, basically that's just a fancy word for the Canadian government, to impose sanctions on a foreign national or a foreign state that's involved in the taking of a Canadian hostage. So specifically, it's that sanctions may be imposed on a foreign national or foreign state that knowingly orders, controls, or otherwise directs the taking of a Canadian hostage. Sanctions may also be imposed on a foreign national or state that's assisted or been complicit in hostage taking. And in terms of the nature of the sanctions, this section would allow the imposition of property blocking sanctions and immigration sanctions. So those are the same types of sanctions that are available under the Magnitsky Act, which is another legislation used to sanction human rights abusers by the Canadian government. So 
the property blocking sanctions are prohibitions on Canadians so that Canadians can't deal in any property of the listed foreign national. They can't enter into or facilitate any financial transaction related to the property. They can't provide or acquire financial services. They can't make available property. So these are all sort of a way of isolating the listed foreign national or state in terms of their property. And then visa sanctions are foreign nationals who are listed become inadmissible to Canada under the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. So those are the nature of the sanctions. And one part of the section is also that Canada can apply these sanctions, use this part of the act when nationals of other countries are taken hostage. And that's part of the collaboration part of this act. So if a U.S. citizen is taken hostage abroad, Canada can use its legislation to apply sanctions as well. And this gives us reason to expect similar support when we face the same challenge with our own. So the second part is assistance to families. And I'm wondering if you could talk about, maybe before we get into your proposal, but let's talk about exactly what these families go through and the immense burden that they carry. Of course, it's extremely difficult when a family member is taken hostage abroad. And it's harder because a lot of the information that's then being worked on by government is classified, it's confidential. So families are to a large extent left in the dark. We see with the lack of policy and families' experiences when dealing with this that they face a lot of not just disorganization, but disrespect by government. Because if their FLO officer that's assigned to them is not specialized, it's brushing them off, they're saying things like, okay, but now I have to get back to my full-time job. This just makes an already traumatizing situation so much worse for them. So this really becomes very important. And we've seen this with, not to go too deep or broad, but we've seen this with Canadian policy with victims of terrorism in general, that victims are so often silenced, their needs are pushed to the side. They're not given the priority and the consideration that they deserve. So in the hostage situation, it's really no different. And we've really seen the families of the hostages be not given the priority that they deserve and not given the respect that they deserve. So then your legislation, what would it propose to offer? So it basically imposes obligations on the government of Canada. So I use the word shall a lot in the draft legislation, which it's something that the government doesn't necessarily like to include in legislation a lot of the time because it means that they have to do something. But I thought that this was too important to not use that type of language. So basically, these sections obligate the government of Canada to do what I really should actually be basic things, communicate with the families of the hostages uh, regularly, assist them in acquiring information if the hostage takers are unwilling to provide information directly to the families, obligates the Canadian government to offer mental health support. It obligates the government of Canada to do all these things that really they should be doing anyway. And the last section in that part is that it obligates the government to facilitate the creation of a family liaison center. And so this would be a specialized body responsible for liaising with families of hostages and providing guidance and referrals to mental health support. And a lot of these sections also were in response directly to the 2016 Toronto Star investigation. So things that the family said that they needed in those reports like were mental health support and regular communication. And so that's exactly why I phrased the section in this way. It was in direct response to what victims were already saying they needed. Mm -hmm. I think that's really key and very important moving forward. 
Your third and final part is multilateral cooperation. What are you proposing and why is this so important to deterring global hostage taking? So, I mean, it's right there in the question, right? Hostage taking is global. So a global problem requires multilateral collaboration. It would be much more difficult for Canada to tackle on its own. We really need to present a strong united front among the like-minded countries because this isn't a problem unique to Canada. It's not just Canadian hostages being taken. It's American hostages being taken, British hostages being taken, Australian hostages being taken, and so on. It's so important for these countries who face the same problem to work together because that really increases the potency of any response if we take it on together. So this part addresses that, and it explicitly encourages multilateral collaboration. And another part uh, of this section uh, that's so key is that it allows collaboration with foreign nationals and allows the minister to protect and reward foreign nationals who assist us. So it provides the option of giving uh, foreign nationals who assist in their immediate family members' refugee status to come to Canada and or monetary rewards. So really encouraging that really critical local assistance. Now, the interesting thing about this part is that I wrote it and we published it before the 58 country declaration. So now that that exists, and that was the, for our listeners who don't know what that is, that's a Canada-led coalition to combat arbitrary detention that was announced after we published this paper. And 58 countries have signed on. And for now, it's just denounced arbitrary detention, but they made clear that this was a first step and hopefully that's true and they can take action within that framework. So something that's interesting that came out of that is the possibility of using these ideas, this proposal and implementing it within that framework. So perhaps every country of the 58 countries can have their own hostage accountability act that deals with sanctions and assistance to families and cooperation. Since we published this, it's been addressed, but only on its own. And so that should really be a framework for all the other stuff. The last and final question I have for you today is if you could speak with the foreign affairs minister and the prime minister, and as we know, we're right in the middle of an election at the moment, but if we could speak to them on this topic or even to all Canadians on this topic, what would you want to say to them on Canada's approach to hostage taking? I would say pass this act that I have so helpfully drafted for you. I would also say you need to start prioritizing the families of hostages. And as I said, this is a broader problem where victims are so often being brushed to the side, but that is so important to prioritize the needs of the families. And in general, I mean, we need to have a greater set of tools to combat hostage taking because this problem is only growing. We need to have measures that have teeth like sanctions, which is what this act would really do. Also, one thing I would note is that the Conservatives' policy platform actually includes this. So if the Conservatives are elected, presumably they'll pass this act. And one thing I would say to the other parties in response to that is don't be partisan about this. Too often we see that if one party puts forward a a good idea or adopts a think tank's good idea or whatever, the other parties won't do it because it becomes a Conservative idea. So what I would say to the Liberals and the NDPs and the Greens is, I hope you include this as well. And please don't see this as a partisan act because it's really not. It's important to do no matter what party is in charge of Canada. Well, this has been a really fascinating chat today. So thank you so much for joining us on Pod Bless Canada. Thanks so much for having me. 